We've been looking at the Apostles' Creed, working through what we believe. Now, I want to clarify here that I'm not preaching on the Apostles' Creed, using it, though, as a guide to search the Scriptures on, uh, so that we can uh, articulate those foundational beliefs that set us apart as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the creeds throughout uh, the history of the church have, <clears throat> have been based on the Scriptures. And so it's been my intent to look at the Scriptures as each of these phrases come out of the Apostles' Creed. Today, it is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I looked through my files of, of preaching over the years. I found very few sermons on the Holy Spirit. And it really kind of shocked me at the beginning. And then I realized, you know, preaching on the Holy Spirit is really difficult. Um, there are so many different opinions on the Holy Spirit. In fact, I, the more I thought about it, and you probably think I'm crazy for pulling out a Rubik's Cube. Do y'all recognize this uh, Rubik's Cube? Because um, for me, trying to talk about the Holy Spirit is like trying to find a solution to a Rubik's Cube. Are, are any, any of you know how to do this? You do? Would you come up here? No, just kidding. You can stay, stay right there. Um, the, here's, here's the deal. Uh, there are 43 quintillion, 252 trillion, 3 trillion, 274 billion, 489 million, 856,000 solutions to the Rubik's Cube. And I think there may be that many opinions about the Holy Spirit. Um, I do, though, think, ha you think I did this? Actually went out and bought one of these that was already done. <laughs> I do believe that the Scripture does give us direction to understanding the Holy Spirit. As long as we stay with, within the Scriptures then we can really begin to understand what it is that we are saying when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and yet the Holy Spirit is mysterious. When we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we can see creation. We can identify creation. We see the sun rise. We see the moon and the scars. And, 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 and as the story of creation is told in Genesis, we can make the connections with our sight, with our ears, with our smell. When we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, we have the New Testament, and we can read the historical accounts of, of Jesus' life and ministry, crucifixion and resurrection, and we can make the intellectual connection. Not only do we have the Gospels, but we also have secular historians that, that talk about the Jesus that we believe in and the formation of the church. But the Holy Spirit is difficult. It is difficult. Jesus says in chapter 3, uh, John tells us in chapter 3 of his gospel about the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 3, 8, this is what Jesus says. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, 
but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Looks like Jesus kind of had his own problems. Not really. Jesus was very direct about the Holy Spirit. The passage that Cindy read for you is a passage that comes at the end of what we call the farewell address of Jesus. It's the longest teaching passage in the New Testament. Uh, In the words of Jesus, it, it goes from chapter 13 of John through chapter 16. It ends with what's called the priestly prayer in chapter 17 of John, which is the longest prayer in the Bible. Um, And it's there that we are going to focus to get a better understanding of the Holy Spirit because it's in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 where Jesus really outlines the Holy Spirit, the advocate that comes to protect and to give power. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words, O God. May you give us understanding by looking at at your holy scriptures. May your Holy Spirit come this morning to fill us and interpret for us these scriptures. That for every word that I don't speak or those that I might speak, that your Holy Spirit would enter in and in our hearing, we would hear your holy word for us today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As we look at the New Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit has many functions and it's described in many ways. For example, the Holy Spirit, of course, is the continuing presence of God's work in our lives. The Holy Spirit brings unity, specialized gifts for ministry. It brings comfort, wisdom, knowledge, and power. In the Bible, it uses different images to talk about the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire, the wind, a dove. And... Each of these is is our attempt in in human words to describe that which is beyond what words can really capture. Because none of the words and none of the descriptions fully can, can capture the indwelling power and protection that is ours through the Holy Spirit. And as we look at the words of Jesus in chapter 13 through 16 of John... What John is telling us is is the significance and power that is ours through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit, for all of the descriptions, for all of the analogies and metaphors that we may read about in the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is made known through us. It's made known through us, through our lives in devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In John chapter 16, verse 8, right in the middle of the passage that Cindy read for you, and when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
Now, you know, what, what exactly is Jesus talking about here? Now, before that, he uses a Greek word, paraclete, which is translated advocate. And, and if we take a look at the Greek words there, the, what, when it, the word prove is actually convict, as, as one would convict in a law court. And the implication here is that what the Holy Spirit is going to do is that it is to expose those things that are not of God, both in our lives and in our world. It is to expose the brokenness and godlessness of the world. It is to expose the rejection of Jesus that is at the root of all the world's problems. Is there, if there is no faith in Jesus, self-centeredness, hatred, Immorality, unbelief will take over. It is the presence and work of the Holy Spirit that is constantly at work to bring this world through the presence of God to a new perfection. And so, the advocate will bring light to the righteousness of Jesus the advocate will reveal before us the truth of, uh, of the Holy Scriptures and the presence of God. It will, re- it will reveal false justice. It will reveal for us the innocence of Jesus and the power of his saving grace and presence through the crucifixion and resurrection as he is raised from the dead. And further, as we read through the, the farewell discourse, the paraclete, the advocate, will, um, will both reveal and defeat the prince and princesses of darkness of this world. There is no reason for us to fear There is no reason for us to doubt. There is no reason for us to to wring our hands at what we may see before us because the promise of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit will prevail. It has all power and provides protection for all of us. Now, Now, let me just simply say right here that Jesus also says to his disciples that trouble is coming. He says to his disciples that they are going to face hard times. He says to his disciples that it's not going to be easy being being one of his followers. And the same is true for us. This is not an easy road. If if you're looking for a bed of roses or or an easy road of of life, this is not the place where you're going to find it. But what you will find here through faith in Jesus Christ and through the presence of the Holy Spirit is protection and power to overcome whatever life may bring us. And that the disciples, therefore, are to go forth boldly. We are to listen to the voice of Christ. We are 
to be present before the Word of God revealed through the Holy Scriptures. There are really two discourses here, and I just want to, this is kind of an aside, but I want to deal with it for just a second. The, in, um, in the first part of 13 and 14, what Jesus is doing is that he is outlining for them what's going to happen to him, what is coming, what is present. He outlines the suffering. He outlines the, the death. He outlines the resurrection and what will be his absence from them physically. Okay? And, and, and he... Uh, and, and, and in doing so, he's basically preparing them for what is to come so that they'll be able to know that even though he may not be bodily, physically with them, that that's a part of God's plan. The second part of the discourse is what will happen after. And, and, and basically what Jesus is saying to his disciples, and these are my words, and I'm trying to kind of simplify because if I really were going to preach this, it'd take about, about three hours, about six or eight sermons, um, is that by his death and resurrection and ascension, the power of God is not limited to a body but is now released for all of creation through the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And, and that is not to say that Jesus is not with us. That is not to say that Jesus continues to, to, to do the work, that, Je- that Jesus is, is not alive, but that is to say that the power of Jesus that was, that was in Jerusalem is multiplied 43 quintillion times or more. First, he speaks to his fate. Second, he projects and lets them know what is their future and the future followers of Jesus Christ. And really, to some extent, these are in tension with each other. They're, they're in tension, this whole sense of, of what is going to happen and what is to come. And, and there is a, there, there's, a, there's an uncertainty that had to be a part of the, of the disciples uh, in, in their hearing of this. That Jesus is going to leave? That Jesus is going to be gone? That Jesus is going to suffer? How can that be a good thing, Jesus? How can that be a good thing? And what Jesus is basically sharing with the disciples is what we see throughout the scriptures. And that is God taking that which is difficult and doing incredible, marvelous, powerful things with it. We complain about our circumstances. We complain about our bodies that get old or the situations that we have to face. And we miss the incredible possibility 
of what God wants to do with all things. That's the tension. Yes, there is suffering that is coming to the disciples, but that suffering has at its end a glory, an absolute glory. Now, in addition to what's happening here in terms of of, uh, the the power and multiplication of the presence of Jesus is that the the Holy Spirit gives direction. And and Jesus makes this clear, particularly in 15 and then what, what, what you saw in the first part of 16, the Holy Spirit is there to give direction. That it, it doesn't provide a new revelation, but it speaks to us through the Holy Scriptures. Now, there's some confusion among those within the church that somehow this revelation is some, some kind of new revelation. It may be in conflict with that. No, uh, no, that's not what we believe. We believe that the Holy Spirit in, enables us to hear the Scriptures even sometimes in different ways. For, for example, and some of you have even said this to me, that you've read a certain scripture a hundred times and that on the hundredth time it spoke to you like you had never heard it before. For, for me, I had this experience with the, with the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm has been for me uh, a source of strength and comfort throughout my life. I probably have, it's, it's, it is part of my morning devotionals is to go through the 23rd Psalm. It is a part of my evening devotionals to go through the 23rd Psalm. And if I were to share with you how old I am and multiply that by 365 and then multiply it again, it, it, it wouldn't be up to the Rubik's Cube yet, but it would it'd be a lot. Three weeks ago, I'm reading it, and it spoke to me in a way that it had never spoke to me before. I, I, I saw there in the 23rd Psalm, you know, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, and I fear no evil. For you are with me, O God, your rod and your staff. And then you prepare a table before me. And I realized that it is not by accident that it's unfolding this way, that, that God has, has, has led us in those places of quiet, that God has restored our souls in preparation for the dark valley so that we would know the presence of God and the rod and the staff that is ours, that we would know that, oh, though we walk through that valley, that God is with us, and that valley is not the end, because on the other end of that valley is a table that has been prepared for us. But the only way we get to that table of glory is by walking through the valley. And I thought to myself, that's my life. You know, I've been reading this scripture all of my life, and now I hear what God's been trying to tell me all along, that this valley I walk through is the only way I get to the table in the presence of my Lord. So, the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit's work is twofold, to guide, to provide truth, to bring remembrance of the presence and work of Jesus, to remind us of the power of that presence, 
And then secondly, to make us witnesses, to provide power and protection in every circumstance as we work to be God's people. Power and protection. If you don't hear anything else, hear those two words today. Power and protection. When you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the power and the protection of Almighty God, Creator and Savior, and the one who sustains me with power and protection. Power and protection. Over the years, I've had the unique honor of dealing with a a number of missionaries going to uh, be a part of their work, to teach, actually to work on site in different places. And almost without exception, each one of those missionaries um, have a story, uh, several stories to tell about how they have experienced God's power and protection. Um, I did not actually hear this missionary stated, but a colleague of mine was sharing with me a missionary that was on furlough back in the United States and he was speaking to his home church and he said he was telling them about an experience that he had had and he was working in a a mission clinic and his job as a missionary was not only to work in the clinic but also to provide them the medicine and the funds and so he would go back and forth to the city and it was a a very difficult journey because there wasn't a road, so he had to ride a bicycle along a path. It was a two-day journey. He would have to spend the night. And so he was back and forth on weekly or bi-weekly basis uh, to pick up the drugs, to receive the money from the United States, and to keep the clinic going. Well, on one particular occasion when he was in the city, he saw two men fighting, and he's talking to the church and telling them this story. Saw two men fighting. One of them was severely injured. And so he offered aid. And in the process of offering that aid, he shared with the young man, um, shared with the young man Jesus, told him about his work, how it was his job to take care of the money and to carry the drugs back and forth. But what he found out later is the young man used that information to plan a ambush. He and some of his friends followed the missionary a few weeks later. And on the night that he spent camping out in order to make his way, the rest of the way, uh, they planned an ambush. Well, long story short, he, he, nothing happened. He delivered the drugs. Two weeks later, he was back in the city, and the man approached him. And he said, I want to know more about this Jesus. And the missionary said, okay, what's going on in your life? And he said, you know, you helped me, and I used that with a plan to kill you and steal from you. And when we arrived at your campground, there were 26 guards. How do you have all these people helping you? Who is this Jesus? And at that point, one of the church members interrupted him and said, what day was it? And the missionary said, the exact day. 
And he said, let's see, the math is, he said, in terms of time. So that would have been a certain time on our day in the U.S. He said, I was playing golf on that day. And that day, I got this incredible compulsion to pray for you. So powerful was that compulsion that I left the golf course. Now, I hope that those of you in our congregation who play golf, if you ever feel a compulsion to pray for me, that you will leave the golf course. I know that'll be difficult for you, but here's what happened. He says, I left the golf, and he said, it was so incredible that I invited the men from my Bible study to join me at the church to pray for you. And the missionary said, who are all these men? I would like for them to like to thank them. And they stood. And the missionary realized something. And he started to count. Remember, there were 26 guards. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Power and protection. We may not be able to understand how, but when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we claim the truth of that promise. Amen.